I don't know about you, but when a, the family came together and I intentionally said we eat at five because I want to sleep in. I'm not going to lie. I want to sleep in. Everyone got there and it was like ants running around the house, in and out. There were kids piled up in the recliner together because they were sharing a charger for their games. The teenage and the early 20s, all those, because there was a lot of boys in our family. They were outside having axe throwing, and it wasn't like the real axes. I got it from Academy. It was harmless unless you really were at close range. Cornhole throwing. I mean, there was just so much. And I found myself moving around the house, being very quiet, just giving thanks. God, we've been through so much, and you saw us through it all. God, we've had ups, we've had downs, but you still brought us together, and we find the laughter. And afterwards, we almost lasted right up until midnight, and I'm surprised my neighbors didn't look out the back door and go, for the love, just shut up. But they didn't. My sister and I looked around and was like, wow, look at God. Like, I know. Who would have known that my parents that had two girls would have ended up with a house full and that was only a quarter of us that were there. I couldn't help to look around and just give thanks. We never know what God has in store. But when we bask in what he does give us, we really know how truly amazing he is. So today we're going to be looking at Matthew 24. And we're going to start in verse 36. Now in my Bible, the header says, no one knows the day or the hour. Verse 36. But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as, we, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then there are two men in the field. One will be taken up, one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken up, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in which part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. And would not let his house be broken into. So therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Lord, help us receive this message. Help us receive the parts of this message that each one of us need. Write it on our hearts, God. Help us have a better understanding of your word today so that we can live in a way that brings glory to you in all that we do. We ask all things in the precious and holy name of your risen Son. Amen. So let's back up just a little bit. So first, let me say that Matthew 24 and 25 are discourses given by Jesus on the Mount of Olives. 
and he was looking, overlooking the city of Jerusalem. Now, Matthew 24 is quite different than 25 because chapter 24 is largely prophetic, where 25 is parables. Now, parables have a prophetic element, but there are differences. So I want to encourage you today and sometime this week to take time and fully read chapter 24 of Matthew. I would also be interested after you read it if you would post comments on today's video of something that stood out to you that maybe you saw for the first time. So if we begin at the beginning of chapter uh, 24 and just kind of run through this very quickly, Jesus left the temple and he's foretelling of an event. Basically, Jesus blew their minds with what he was saying to them. But the disciples said, let's go over here. Let's have a private talk. So on the Mount of Olives, it was kind of like them saying, all right, hey, Jesus, what, what's really going to happen? Now, I'm sure they were thinking, I don't know this for sure because it's not written in Scripture. This is how my mind works. But they were probably thinking, all right, we're the inside crew. You can give us the extra details. We're closer to you. They're not. They were basically playing on their status or the status they thought they had. But Jesus replied, when they wanted to know when the temple would be destroyed and they wanted to know what would be the signs of Jesus' return. In asking these questions, they asked them together because they assumed they would happen together. Now, if the temple was to be destroyed, then surely in their minds, in in Jewish times, this would mean Christ was returning and it would be the end of ages. Because God would not allow the temple to be destroyed because that's where God lived. God dwelled there. They went to the temple to be with God. So this brings Jesus to his explanation of these things. And he begins to tell them about the destruction of the temple. Now, to us, this is history past. But to them, this is history future. And I'll be honest, sometimes when I read scripture, I forget that they don't know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. We do. Sadly, that makes us read it a little different than we should. So, it was about 40 years from when Jesus gave this prophetic message that the temple would be destroyed. So, while Jesus was talking about the destruction of the temple in all of Jerusalem, he was at the same time talking about another event that was similar But it's actually called a parallel prophecy. Now, this is when there's two prophetic events that are encompassed in a single statement or a group of statements. So in other words, one prophecy is a short term. It's in a short amount of time in the future, it's going to happen. Where the other is in a long term. They're not going to happen at the same time. But remember, in the Jewish mind, if the temple's gone, that is the end. God is coming back because that's where God dwells. Now, let me say that Scripture is full of parallel prophecies. Sadly, we read them still today as if they occurred at the exact same time. That's why I really want to encourage you when you read Scripture, dig into the history and the culture and the background for a better understanding. Now, the short-term fulfillment is that the destruction of the Jewish temple was coming. Again, that was about 40 years after the prophecy was given. The long-term fulfillment 
was the return of Jesus and the great tribulation. Four characteristics when you're looking at parallel prophecies. The first one is the the events are similar. The second one is the partial part is short term. It's foreshadowing the long term. And ultimately the long term is the ultimate fulfillment, the completion. So the great tribulation occurs after the rapture of the church, the bride of Christ. And scripture tells us it will last seven years. So, jumping backwards, starting at verse 4, going through 14, it talks about the last days. And the last days really are from the book of Acts to current day. That's today. We are in the last days. I know that we all grew up, my my great-grandmother, with someone saying we're living in the last days. But we didn't fully understand what they were talking about until we dove into Scripture and learned Biblically, we are in the last days. So reading the characteristics of the last days is kind of like reading a news article from today. It's kind of like watching the 10 o'clock news. Every generation from the inauguration of the church onward has experienced these things. So when Jesus mentions the characteristics, they're not signs. They are non-sign characteristics. There's so many churches that say, oh, it's a sign. And sadly, we've seen headlines where people have committed suicide because they thought they were in the final days. And they thought, like, today is the day. But Scripture says we don't know the day. Jesus goes on to talk about the lawlessness that will make hearts of humanity become cold toward the Lord. That's the news for me. I see it all the time. I'm going... How in the world? But Scripture tells us. A little extra homework. I'd like for you to also go to 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4 at some point. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. When you read it, I'm telling you, it sounds like today. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4. Now, let's talk about today's Scripture. They ask for a sign. What's the sign of your return, Jesus? And he goes on to tell them, there's no sign. It could happen at any moment. Only the Father knows. In all the writings that Paul had, even Paul didn't have any idea. Paul actually thought he would see the return. But when you and I truly believe that Jesus could come at any time, it will change the way we live because if, we've ex- we, if we have expectations, then we have hope that there will be a change to our world. Now, there is a parable talking about if the homeowner knew when the thief was coming, then they would stay up, they wouldn't go to bed. He would wait so that he could stop the thief. Now, while this sounds very negative, if you have a full understanding of the enemy, think about this is the enemy trying to take advantage of humanity. We are to stay awake, alert. If the owner of the house would have set a trap for the thief, don't you think the worldly ruler would also set a trap to destroy humanity before the return? Again, we see this all the time in the news, especially with the taking of innocent lives. 
While this unknown detail is a bit of protection against the enemy, it's also a challenge for believers. Are you ready for the return of Christ? Now, I'm not saying are you ready for the return of Christ so that all the wrongs in the world will be made right. I'm not saying are you ready for the return of Christ so everyone else will get their stuff fixed. That everyone else will get straightened out. I'm trying to not let any Freudian slips happen. There almost was one. But it's a personal question. Are you ready? If you were to look in the mirror right now, fully look at yourself and everything of your life, is your heart fully confessed? And does your life bring glory to the Lord? Are you ready? These are questions that every single one of us need to ask every single day at the beginning and the end of our day. We have no promise for what tomorrow will bring. If we jump forward to verse 37, it says, As with the day of Noah, so be the day of the sun. When Noah entered the ark, all others were unaware, so they were swept away. And when Jesus comes for his church, there will be people living casual, everyday lives without a care in the world and no regard for the Lord. They will be cold-hearted towards the Lord. Honestly, they'll probably be thinking, a bunch of crazy Jesus freaks. I think that's kind of the way they looked at, at Noah. He's a little crazy. Out there building a boat on dry land, no water around, living life as usual without a care. But Scripture says the coming of the Son of Man will be like that. They will be surprised because life will not go on as usual from that point forward. Verse 40 says, two men will be in the field. One will be taken up, one will be left. Two women, one taken, one left. So 42, verse 42 says, therefore stay awake. And 43 says, but if the master had known what part of the night... Who in this room is the faithful and wise servant to the master who has set his household on a platform of giving everything you have? We share times. We share holidays. We serve. But every single day, do we do our full? I can answer for me, no. I get caught up in the usual day, the every day, the constant hustle and bustle. So when Jesus returns, what do you want Jesus to find you doing? We could be doing just about anything, right? We could be sitting right here. We could be sound asleep with the thought of what do we want Jesus finding us doing. It should change how we live. We're constantly thinking, what do I do? How will Jesus find me? How will he see me? And then I have to think, am I falling for the traps laid by the enemy? 
Am I living in obedience to God's will? Am I being a servant to Him and His people? How do I approach life and God's people? How do I respond to life and God's people? And then going on to verse 48, there's a warning. It warns us of the wicked servant. Now, sometimes the wicked is the enemy. Sometimes the wicked is laziness. Sometimes the wicked is self-serving. Sometimes the wicked is simply disobedient. But the wicked loses sight of Jesus. Doesn't focus on his return. He's not concerned with his return and becomes cold-hearted toward the Lord. Scripture says it would not be good for the wicked. We cannot live a life of sin and be ready for Jesus to return. We cannot live in the world according to the world and disregard the word of God and be ready for Jesus to return. But hope is promised in Scripture. On this first Sunday of Advent, we remember that every Old Testament prophecy of Jesus' coming was fulfilled down to the letter. We look forward to him returning because, believe it or not, there are more prophecies in the New Testament of his second coming than in the Old Testament of his first coming. We believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We believe that his death on the cross for our sins so much that we glorify him, we praise him. And I'll be honest, I'm excited for his second return. But my heart is still burdened with a simple question of how will he find me? And have I reached out to everyone he's put in my path? So today we light the candle of hope. Because as long as God is alive and he is eternal, there is no end date for him like there is for our earthly lives. He is still in control. We do have hope in his mercy, in his grace, in his peace, in his forgiveness, and for all eternity. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, so many times we... Let me rephrase that. God, so many times I... I read scripture quickly at a glance. And I don't take time... To really listen to the questions the Holy Spirit is asking me as I read. God, not, your, not just during this season, but for all the rest of my days. Remind me in every situation. Is this an appropriate situation for when Jesus is returning that he should find me? God, if there's someone that you have put in my path that I didn't see, I apologize with all of my heart. God, give me a second chance to speak life. Give me a second chance to speak life into someone's situation because someone was obedient to you when they spoke life into my situation. God, help me to live out every single day fully confessing you are the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. May my eyes and my mind never bow to the enemy 
because, Lord, I freely want to bow my whole heart, my soul, my body, my full being at the foot of your throne. We ask all things in the precious and holy name of your risen Son. Amen.